things that happen. <laughs> Not totally unexpected. Uh, I asked the girls if they would uh, spill water on the floor that we get to clean up later, but uh, for a reason, right? Um, the whole point of that little thing is what spilled? They had water in their cup. If you had coffee in your cup and somebody bumped you, you'd spill coffee. Me, I have tea in my cup. Whatever's in your cup, that's what's going to spill out. I love the analogy because when life comes along and shakes you, and it will, whatever's inside will come out. It's really easy to fake it until you're rattled. Whatever is in your cup, when life gets hard, uh, will spill out. We hope it's joy and gratefulness, peace, humility. But how many times is it anger and bitterness and harsh words? Whatever's in your cup will spill out. That kind of goes along with what I'm going to talk about. And we're going to talk today about two of those heroes of the faith that we sang about. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6, and we're going to speak a little bit about Gideon and Samson. But before that, you know, last week we spoke, Nathan spoke of uh, being ready, able, and willing. Jesus is always ready when we come to him. He's more than able to fix what's broken and heal our hearts, and he's always willing to put the shattered pieces of our lives back together as only he can. He spoke about people who had leprosy, and, and Nathan and I spoke about that just a little bit before they left. And I said, you know, do you think there's leper colonies still today? He said, I, I don't know. And I said, I've been to one. We've been to a leper colony. This one happened to be in Guatemala. We've seen the devastation that that disease, that sickness causes. It eats the flesh and the bones away from their fingers and their, their legs, their toes. And it leaves them scarred for life. It also brings a great big crack in their family because they're shunned from society. They're shunned from their family. They're put away in a colony where there's others just like them. The joy in that for me is that we met Christians in the midst of their disease, in the midst of all that's happened to them, they cried out to God and they found God. They picked up the broken pieces of their lives, the shattered pieces that their families, uh, the shame that goes along with it, put on them, was released in the power of Jesus. But 
What happens when you receive news that's totally unexpected? Or maybe you were expecting it, but you didn't want to hear it and you wouldn't like it anyway when the news came. What happens when our tiny little world, life as we know it, is rocked to the core? There's a song titled, I Won't Be Shaken. I'm not sure that I can sing that even today. Because the truth is, our lives get shaken. Personally, our lives have been shaken. You've heard the testimony of Nathan and Alicia and how their life was shaken. We all get to a place where cracks develop and our life uh, as we know it is, is rocked. And in other words, what happens when your dome is shattered? What is a dome? Most of us envision a covering over a sports complex. There are several, Metrodome in Minneapolis. They're all over. That's what I think of anyway, because I'm a sports fanatic, and I think of a dome as that. But I contend that it's something so much more. I submit to you that it is a protective covering that encompasses our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual being. What happens when that dome develops a crack or heaven forbid? It shatters like that one. What do we do? Where do we run to? To whom? do we run to? If we've lived very long, old or maybe not so old, we've all had that feeling of a crack beginning in our lives, of our protective covering being shaken. And maybe, just maybe, our domes have been shattered a time or two, or maybe three. You know, Bob taught a few weeks ago uh, that water in its natural state is tasteless. Wine, on the other hand, so I'm told, is tasty. Your favorite coffee <laughs> or your iced coffee is tasty. It's not tasteless. The Bible says that putting new wine into old wineskins, what's the Bible say about that? doesn't really work out really well. And he, he talked about in Matthew 9, uh, he who puts a piece of shrunken cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. In other words, it begins to crack and then it's shattered. But the good news is, when Jesus touches it, it becomes new. And it's the very best. Ben Phillips taught 
that we need to run our own race, be our own unique individual self. In other words, to be different. If we try to be someone or something that we aren't, we develop cracks and the facade will soon shatter. Nathan taught that we should build our house on the rock. And when the storms of life start howling and our foundation is seemingly shaken, it won't shatter into little pieces. He put it this way, Jesus gives his disciples one final warning and encouragement. Follow my words and you will be like a wise man building his house on a rock. Disobedience, however, will lead to total loss. You know, the amazing thing for me is is that the Lord, how the Lord puts things together. You know, we had four totally different people who weren't asked to compare notes. We weren't asked to talk on a topic or a theme, but the Lord wove it all together. Um, it's, it still amazes me. I don't know why, because we have a good, good God. And he, he weaves things in for his purpose and for our instruction. But the, the common thread that, that I saw going through all of it is what happens when our world is turned inside down and upside or inside out and upside down? What happens when our dome is shattered? It doesn't happen in an instant. It doesn't happen. It just, you know, it just sits there and all of a sudden, you know, it just implodes. It starts with little cracks. It starts with stress cracks that become bigger and bigger. And unless the Lord touches it, or until the Lord touches it, it's not going to be fixed. It's not, we're not going to heal. But if we run to him, if we give it to him, he's faithful to take it and heal our hurts, heal our minds, and to make it new again. We're going to read in Judges chapter 6 this morning. We're going to contrast the life of Gideon is in chapter 6. And we're going to, light, and we're going to contrast it with Samson. Two heroes of the faith, the New Testament calls them. In chapter 6, Gideon, it starts out, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, chapter 1. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Wherever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites people invaded the country. I'm sorry. The Midianites, Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. And it goes on to talk about all the things that happened and why the Israelites were hiding. And we come to, we come to um, Gideon in chapter 6, and 
Gideon was a weak man who was made strong. First comparison. The account begins in chapter 6, and from the beginning, he's depicted as a man whose fear was greater than his faith. How many of us have been there? The fact that the Lord chose Gideon as the answer to deliver his people is proof positive that the Lord's power cannot be limited even by the unlikely human instrument. And that has brought great relief to me and to the outlook of him being able to use me and I submit you for his glory and for his purposes. We are, I think most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, we think we're really unlikely for God to use because we are who we are. We know our faults. We know our cracks. We know our little stresses. But when we first meet Gideon, he's hiding from the Midianite, the Midianites in Judges 6, 11. And it says, one time the angel of the Lord came to the place called Ophrah and sat under an oak tree. This oak tree belonged to a man named Joash from the Abazar family. His son Gideon was beating some wheat in a wine press. He was holding so that the Midianites, he was hiding so that the Midianites could not see the wheat because they were going to steal it. The Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord be with you, brave soldier. Hmm. Now the angel of the Lord, many theologians believe was actually the Lord himself. And he said to Gideon, the Lord be with you, brave soldier. Now all the scriptures that I've prepared and that, that were up there are from the ERV edition. It's called the easy to read version um, because it makes sense to me. Um, but as we read the encounter, the Lord told Gideon to do something and he would be victorious. What did Gideon do? I think we're all familiar with the story. He uh, wanted to test God. I don't think that's a real good course of action most of the time, but he did. He wanted to put out a fleece, not once but twice. As we read in Judges 6, 36 through 40, it's the account of the sign of the fleece, and it says, the Gideon, then Gideon said to God, you said that you would help me save the Israelites. Give me proof. I will put a sheepskin on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the sheepskin, while all the ground is dry... I will know that you will use me to save Israel as you have said. And that's exactly what God did. But Gideon, being the man of weak faith, decided to say, uh, well, God, let me, let me test you one more time. He got up in the morning and sure enough, 
the sheepskin was, was wet. He drained it out, got a cup full of water. He said, awesome. But I really don't believe you, God, yet. And in verse 39, he says, don't be angry with me. Just let me, one more thing. Just let me ask one more thing. Let me test you one more time with the sheepskin. This time, let the sheepskin be dry while the ground around it is wet. And that night, God did the very thing that he asked. Gideon clearly uh, was not a man of faith and fortitude. He lacked those qualities sorely. But he's a man that God used. Have you ever heard the Lord speak to you in an audible voice? I haven't. There are those that have. Gideon surely did. And what he heard was, the Lord be with you, brave soldier. Really? Because in verse 13, it says, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our father told us about? We may or may not have said something to the same effect. I've seen you work in other people's lives, not in mine. I've seen you work in other families, not in mine. Where are all the miracles that our parents and our grandparents told us about? Why is all this happening to me? Why is all this happening to us? As we look through circumstances with human eyes. Many of us have asked very variations of those questions when our world gets shaken. The truth is, the angel wasn't referring to what Gideon was, but what it was to become. And we find ourselves in that same place. We look at who we are, at what our circumstances are. We know ourselves and we're looking at it who we are. God doesn't look at us that way. Read the whole story of Gideon sometime in in Judges 6 and, and read through it with a different set of lenses with eyes that don't see us as we are, but through eyes that see who we are to become. God took Gideon from faithless to fearless. That's what he wants to do with us. Another example is found in the life of Samson, another hero of the faith. A strong man made weak. The contrast is great. Where Gideon was timid and afraid, Samson was maybe a little brash and reckless. Where Gideon was timid, weak, and hiding, Samson was a bit prideful, and, but he was set apart from the moment of his birth. He was given supernatural strength and was not afraid of anything or anybody. We read about it in Judges chapter 13, 1 through 5. 
Samson's life is a study of contradiction. He had supernatural strength that belongs in a children's fantasy book, like Hercules. But his life is real. He was real. Read about his exploits in Judges 16 through, or 13 through 16 sometime. Fascinating. Samson had outer strength, but his recklessness and pride became a thing that made him weak and imprisoned. The fact that Samson was set apart had little effect on how he lived his life as an adult. Don't raise your hand, but who can relate? Throughout his life, Samson would violate all three of the Nazarite vows. They weren't to touch a dead body. He did. That's in Judges 14, 8, and 9. He wasn't supposed to drink strong drink. He got drunk at a wedding feast. He wasn't allowed to shave his head. Which, if you know the story, he did. He became a man driven by fleshly desires. Scripture describes him as having a stubborn will irrational desires, and having a violent temper. All of which are pretty volatile combinations. How many of us want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, in spite of having clear direction from the Lord? Though people try to dissuade us, We ignore their counsel and persist till we got our way. Fast forward today to this hour, to this place, and ask yourself, which am I, Lord? Am I a Gideon, fearful of what may come? Am I hiding, maybe doing some of the work? but maybe in secret? Or am I a Samson, strong in body, but weak in spirit? If I'm being honest with myself, I can be a bit prideful and sure of myself. I'm sure my lovely bride can attest to that fact. Has the Lord called you, the Lord called me, to be a man or woman of valor? And we're saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, God. That's not me. I may be a lot of things, but I'm not that. I'm not a warrior. I'm not a brave soldier. I'm not a man or woman of valor. But God says, You are. We look at ourselves because it's all we see. We know our past. God knows our past too. And he sees us as what we are to become. It's the Lord calling you into the battle and we ignore him. Sometimes, 
I never see myself as a mighty man of valor, as one version puts it, as a brave soldier. But what's the underlying truth of these two stories? Because they both teach the same basic lesson. God's mighty power can override human weaknesses to accomplish his sovereign purposes. Simply because he can. And he sees us as warriors. Gideon and Samson are presented as examples of faith in the New Testament. It was at their moment of greatest weaknesses when they became the most dependent on the Lord through faith because God's power was displayed through them at their moment of greatest weaknesses. You know, at the beginning I said, who do we run to when times get difficult, when cracks develop in our lives, when our dome shatters? Our Father wants us to run to Him. God's power was displayed through them. And so it is with us. If we look at 1 Corinthians one twenty-six, Paul tells the Corinthians, brothers and sisters, God chose you to be his. Think about that. Many of you were wise in the way of the world as the world judges wisdom. Not many of you had great influence and not many of you came from important families. Who can attest to that? Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, considering this hardship, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of us want to proclaim that one? I don't find myself quoting Paul in the midst of it. But he did. Why? Because he knew the secret of tapping into God's strength. It's through faith. And believing and seeing with different, through different lens, through different eyes, who we are to become, not who we are. Because left to ourselves, we're foolish, base, and we're pretty weak. But in Christ, we are inherently worthless and sinful, but are transformed into vessels of valor and of honor fit for the master's use. Enabled to serve him in the strength that he supplies with his grace and for his glory. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it in our human strength. We can do it. We can access that kind of faith 
that Gideon and Samson had, but we access it through faith. Even though we may have cracks, and all of us do, even though our, may, our dome may have been shattered at some point, and ours has, we can rise up through faith in the one who has that ability and who sees us as brave soldiers. Let the Lord take the shattered pieces of our lives. Let him put the pieces back together as scarred as they are and as broken as they may be. Going into C10 pastoral care, which is what Janice and I do. We were asked if we would prayerfully consider joining the pastoral care staff. Now we went to C10 because we were beat up, battered, and bruised by ministry. And I looked at the director who was sitting right across from us and I point blank, I said, Jack, we couldn't possibly we're broken. And without a heartbeat, he looked back and said, you are. But God wants to use that brokenness to bring healing to those that are hurting for his glory and for his purposes. He wants to take that brokenness to help others heal. And that's what he has done. He also wants to take yours. He wants to use the broken pieces of our lives to help others heal from their brokenness in their brokenness. Because he sees us as what we are to become or what we are becoming for his glory so that others can see his glory working in and through each of us. You know, church, there's, there's a fight waging between evil and good. And it's a desperate fight. They're playing to keep. Evil seems to be winning a lot of the times, especially in today's culture. And I can only say, but God. God will have the ultimate advantage because he has better weapons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the outcome is sure. The enemy knows that as well. But he's living as though it's not. And he's dragging as many of us as he can with him. But God. Jesus will be victorious. He is victorious. And in the end, he wins. so shall we too. When as we're true to him, as we see through his eyes, 
of what we are to become. But there can be no wobbly compromise. There can be no um, living life when you want, how you want, and in the direction that you want. We have to look through eyes of that see his victory to see who he is in us and through us. We're going to close. Uh, the worship team wants to come up. Um, you know, it's a short and sweet message. but I, It was something that the Lord gave me very powerfully a while back. And I asked Nathan, you know, at some point, can I share this, this message? And he said, absolutely. Because we have had lives and we're walking through things that are rocking our world, quite honestly and literally. And where do we run? To whom do we run? Uh, I, can, I can confess that, that my first direction now is running to the Father because I can't do it on my own. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I don't have the knowledge. But through him, we can.